0: Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to our next episode of Disability Inclusion Required, a podcast for the Disability and Philanthropy Forum. I am the host, Emily Ladau, and I could not be more excited to be chatting with our guest today. So I wanted to say welcome to you, Taryn, and I'll have you introduce yourself in just a moment. But first, I wanted to say that I am so excited to have you joining us today to talk about a topic that I am particularly passionate about, which is accessibility. And I want to note that everyone who's tuning into this podcast is definitely at a different point on their learning journey when it comes to disability. So I believe very deeply in trying to meet people where they are. And part of that is really offering some key foundational information on disability and accessibility so that we can expand our shared understanding of that And then facilitate better conversation and communication and it is always important to talk about disability when planning out this episode i thought to myself who can we talk to who can speak very holistically i think to the topic of accessibility and i thought of you because you have been so committed in your career to really making our society a more accessible and inclusive place so to kick things off, I would love if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and your role, and then
1: we'll dive into some conversation. Great. I am happy to talk uh, about this. I could talk about it all day, but uh, let me first just start by saying thank you so much for inviting me uh, to be part of this conversation. And you are so right that accessibility is central to any conversation that we're having about disability inclusion, and so I'm, I'm really thrilled to have the opportunity to talk more about it, both broadly, but also in, in the context of philanthropy. And just to, to tell you a little bit about me, I am the Assistant Secretary of Labor for Disability Employment Policy, and in that role, I have the honor of leading the U.S. Department of Labor's Office of Disability Employment Policy, which we sometimes call ODEP or with the acronym ODEP for short. I've also formally served as the chair of the United States Access Board and currently serve as a DLL representative with the Department of Labor representative to that board. Uh, just recently, Gregory Fairback uh, was elected to be <clears throat> Excuse me, Chair, and I I just have so much respect for the the work of the the Access Board and their role in advancing accessibility. ODEP's mission is to develop and influence policies and practices that increase both the number and the quality of employment opportunities for people with disabilities. And it's one that I I care deeply about. It's been a defining thread running throughout uh, my career. And that comes in part because of my own lived experience. I am a woman living with non-apparent disabilities. I I grew up with digestive disease. I later in, in early adulthood acquired arthritis. Um, these are experiences that, including needing accommodations to to succeed and events in my career that have really um, contributed to my my motivation to pursue disability inclusion as as a focus of my work.
0: and Taryn, I want to thank you for sharing that you have lived experience with disability i think that what has been so crucial to the conversations that i'm having on this podcast are that people are coming to it from all different angles and i always say if you've met one person with a disability then you've met one person with a disability and so i know that we each speak from our own lenses but i think it's incredibly valuable to have that context in addition to the fact that you have such Uh, an incredible, you know, career dedicated to advocating for access, especially in the employment space. And so I'm hoping that we can actually take a bit of a step back because now that we know a bit more about you, I think it's helpful to make sure that we're really starting out with the basics. I would love to know how we can understand what the term accessibility actually means both to you personally, but
1: also much more expansively. To me, the the crux of accessibility is in fact equity. It's about ensuring that all people can access not only places but also opportunities to fully participate meaningfully in society and uh, in that way, it's really something that has to be viewed both through a collective and an individual lens. I and mean, personally, and in, in terms of my career, examples of accessibility are the things that assisted me in pursuing education and and job opportunities, namely accommodations. But it's also been about the environment, and that's not just literally but figuratively. And that's where we. Uh, really start to talk about it more in a collective or an organizational level. Accessibility is not one particular tool. It's not just an architectural feature or a type of technology, even if those things may increase accessibility for a particular person with a particular type of disability. Rather, it's really a, a mindset. It's the philosophy that all people should have equitable opportunity to determine and pursue their goals. And for us, um, particularly as I think about the work at the Department of Labor, in the context of the workforce, I believe that everyone has a responsibility to make sure their workplaces are accessible. And that requires ensuring that the. Physical and digital environments take the needs of all employees and and job seekers into account.
0: And I think that you touched on this already, but I really want to focus in on the fact that accessibility is not a one size fits all thing, nor is it focusing on the fact that we just need a ramp or we just need captioning. I so often encounter this misconception that access is making the physical environment a little bit more welcoming for people, but you and I both know that that could not be further from the truth. Accessibility is so many things, it's wide ranging, it's systemic, so can we dive a little bit more into what we should be thinking about beyond just putting in a ramp or putting in an automatic door opening button? What else should we think about when it comes to accessibility? That's a great
1: question. And it really gets to the heart of of what I, I was just talking about. And accessibility is about more than the literal or the physical environment. And today we know we really have to fight that that misconception since so many of our our lives again whether it's school or work or socializing of the things that we do in our community it it's carried out in a digital environment or it's facilitated by by digital tools and uh, businesses certainly need to ensure that their technology infrastructure is accessible to people with disabilities that's both from a workplace and a marketplace perspective we have uh, something called the Partnership on Employment and Accessible Technology, or PEAT. Uh, it's an initiative funded by ODAP and it has a lot of resources to assist employers in this regard. Just one example is something that we call TalentWorks, which is an online resource that helps employers and HR professionals ensure that their e-recruiting technologies, like online job applications, are accessible to all job seekers, including those with disabilities. And of course, companies also want to ensure that their outward-facing systems, like their e-commerce uh, systems, are accessible to, to people with different disabilities. Otherwise, they're missing a large part of their, of their market. Or the market segment, but while I I reinforce your point that accessibility is more than the physical environment, I also want to know it's more than even the the virtual environment. It's also about ensuring that all are welcome, um, and that's where I think the the mindset really comes in. It's it's a spirit of continuous improvement. It's not something that you can ever achieve. We don't just check the box and, and then we're there because we are constantly evolving, our, our workplaces, our, our, our society is constantly evolving. And so that mindset is one where we continuously strive to improve and adapt along the way as new barriers and new solutions are identified.
0: So first of all, thank you for talking about the Partnership on Employment and Accessible Technology, because I love a good tangible takeaway resource that people can go to. Uh, So I definitely encourage people to check that out. And I also wanted to zoom in on the fact that you talked about accessibility as a mindset, because that really resonates with me. It's very different to me when I get in the room and then I'm not included in what's going on there. Versus when I'm able to get in the room and then I'm also welcomed into what is going on. And so I think that providing a ramp may be accessibility, but accessibility does not automatically lead to inclusion all the time. And so it's not about checking boxes. It really is about that active mindset and that active practice. And I think that as we are talking about accessibility, it can be possible for people to feel a little bit uncertain or overwhelmed when it comes to how to approach that mindset, because many people have very limited, if any, real awareness of what accessibility requirements actually look like under laws like the Americans with Disabilities Act. But more than that, there's so much more to accessibility than just the ADA. And so I think if we could just try to demystify it quickly certainly this is not uh, a podcast giving legal guidance but how, what should we know about the laws that pertain to accessibility what should we work- know especially in regard
1: to workplaces yeah that is uh another great question you're right that many people don't Uh, necessarily have the the knowledge of the Americans with Disabilities Act or ADA that they they could or or should and although I do believe that has improved over the years it's it's just not fast enough given that we're, we're coming up on the the 33rd anniversary and we certainly in our work we want folks to know what what the ADA is but Certainly when it comes to the built environment, we have seen many improvements uh, with accessibility being incorporated into architecture and building construction, education, for instance. We're really working hard to ensure that this concept is, is woven into technology, education, for instance, and for developers and programmers so that they know and understand that technology can be born uh, accessible. And so it's not just uh, the ADA that we, we focus on. And you're also right, there are other laws that impact accessibility. One example is the Rehabilitation Act. And in fact, this year, 2023, we are marking the 50th anniversary of this act, which really is a milestone in advancing access and equity for people with disabilities and throughout this year we are observing this important anniversary by examining its impact and and talking about where it was then where it is now and and what's next and the rehab act as it's often called is a is key legislation protecting the civil rights of people with disabilities in the US and in fact it was the first to address the notions of equity and access for people with disabilities and it's often spoken about um in terms of various sections some of which focus on employment and and career readiness and For us at the Department of Labor, the Rehab Act really works to make our workforce more inclusive. It prohibits certain employers from discriminating against job applicants and employees with disabilities. It also requires that these employers uh, take affirmative action to recruit and retain people with disabilities and This includes federal agencies as well as federal contractors and subcontractors. And federal agencies are are covered by Section 501 of the Rehab Act and federal contractors are covered by Section 503. But the the Rehab Act doesn't just protect those who are already in the workforce. Uh, It also is something that Uh, addresses those who are preparing to join it. And so Section 504, which a lot of folks in the disability community will talk about, is the section that prohibits discrimination against people with disabilities by any program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. And that means public education, for example, or uh, publicly funded workforce services. So if you are a person with a disability seeking employment or training assistance through an American Job Center or any other organization that receives federal funds, the Rehab Act means that services must be accessible to you. And I I should note that the signing of regulations implementing Section 504 of the Rehab Act was Really, a seminal event in in disability rights history, and achieved as a result of tireless efforts on the part of many advocates, organizations, and our allies, among them the the late disability rights champion um, and and mentor uh, Judy Human. So, um, the world today is is very different than it was in 1973 with technology powering so much of our daily lives. and and on this note, the Rehab Act has really provided the 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 flexibility to to meet our changing needs.
0: I want to say that I am so thrilled that this was not only uh, a primer that you gave on accessibility laws, but also really on some seminal turning points in disability rights history. And I think that, it's important to take these conversations of accessibility in that context because there are so many people who have done such incredible work to get us to the point that we are today to create a more accessible world. And I can imagine that some people who are working in philanthropy might be wondering about the applicability of this more broadly, especially for um, the rules and regulations that apply to uh Um, federal entities. And I I just want to emphasize that no matter what sector you are talking about, accessibility really does impact all of us. And so, uh, you know, philanthropy absolutely has a role to play in contributing to the work of creating a more accessible world. And um, not only that, but really a more just and equitable world. But when we are thinking about how we can create a more equitable world. Accessibility is so often left out of the equation entirely. It's not taken into account in the work of broader social justice movements, and and yet we know that disability cuts across all identities and that movements cannot exist in silos. So I'd love if, uh, continuing the beautiful thread that you started about um, disability history in general, can we talk about accessibility and how it's more broadly interconnected with disability rights, disability justice, and then rights and justice movements more broadly?
1: Absolutely. I believe that, and and you put this so nicely, and I believe accessibility is intrinsically interconnected with efforts to advance disability justice and Really, efforts to advance justice for any a marginalized or underserved group, and as I, I said earlier, accessibility is about equity, and equity or the fight for it is the common thread running through all social justice movements. And I I've understood this for for a long time. I reflected on it a lot uh, this past March. I I had an opportunity to travel to Alabama to celebrate the the Selma Bridge Crossings Jubilee, and while there, I met with members of the National Black Caucus of of state legislators. And Alabama, as you know, was really the the backdrop for so many pivotal moments in the civil rights movement, and I was a uh, awestruck being in Selma, uh, not only because I'm, I'm a proud Black woman, but also as a, a person with a, a disability who really understands and ha- had the opportunity to learn the role that the civil rights movement played in the disability rights movement. And we see the, the linkages there um, through, through several critical moments in our history and the thing is both of those movements were about access Um, and while the nature of some of the barriers involved might have been different some were were absolutely the same have they related to to attitudes and when the disability rights movement was just emerging in the 1960s and 70s its leaders look to the civil rights leaders, such as those who marched in Selma and took action across the South to advance their cause and are inspired by the the passion and the commitment they saw. And these leaders made disability rights the next step in America's ongoing progress and demands that we live up to this ideal that we advance, that we are created equal. And, and the meaning of the word access um, as a noun, it, it means of approaching or entering a place. And when you look at it, that simply you can see that disability rights, <clears throat> which are facilitated through accessibility, are in fact civil rights. And on a basic level, both movements were really fighting for the same thing. The right for people to equitably enter and to be fully a part of our society. And so let me just say, um, while there were many people who brought the, the disability rights movement to the forefront, someone who has been top of mind lately is someone I, I mentioned earlier, uh, my, my friend and mentor, and Judith, or Judy, as we knew her, human, who, um, actually passed away the the very day that I was in Selma. And in fact, as I was meeting with those legislators and and talking about the leakages between the the civil rights movement and the disability rights movement and where we are today, I was I was grappling with the news of of the loss of Judy and. And just in so, one of so many examples of her impact, Judy helped lead the 1977 504 sit-in at the San Francisco Federal Building. And that demonstration resulted in the long awaited implementation of the Section 504 regulations of the Rehab Act, which I mentioned earlier. And Section 504 was actually modeled on the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and it laid the foundation for the more comprehensive legislation, the Americans with Disabilities Act, or the ADA. So the, the interplay between the two movements is clear, it's compelling, and it continues absolutely uh, to this day.
0: Taryn I could not be more thrilled how you tied that all together and as somebody who had the privilege also of calling Judy Human a mentor and a friend um, I am very happy to be able to use this as a platform to honor her legacy but also to note that there are so many disabled activists um, across all cultures and identity groups who are really doing the work to carry forward uh, not just Judy's legacy but the legacy of everyone who fought to ensure that we have a right to an accessible world and I know that there is more to do and so as we wrap up uh, recognizing that although we've made so much progress Inaccessibility is still incredibly pervasive in so many places. Uh, what do you think needs to happen across the philanthropic sector, across all sectors, to ensure that we're moving in the right direction toward disability inclusion? And what is a message that you would like
1: to leave our listeners with today? Yeah, I need. Um, it's, it's hard to to think of just one message? I, I will start with a, a moment of optimism and. That is, I, I'd like to believe that we're at a tipping point when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it has to do with accessibility being interwoven in uh, increasing use of the A, so that when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, we say diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, or DEIA, uh, which is part of the Biden administration's executive order focused on just that for the the workforce. But what I would really want to say is that philanthropies have an important role to play in strengthening the momentum that we're seeing uh, or this tipping point that we're in. For instance, they can champion accessibility and inclusion, not only when it when it comes to resource allocation and grant making, but also within their own staff and and leadership. And that of course necessitates fostering an, an organizational culture conducive to self-identification. And uh, it means that you've got to ensure that all individuals with disabilities, including those who live with non-apparent disabilities, that they can disclose and and um feel as if they can share without fear of stigma and, and discrimination. And it's my belief that increased accessibility really will help fight that very stigma. Um, and as you were saying before, as I think we've been talking about, it's, it's, it's not just a box. It's a spirit and an ongoing mindset of creating the most inclusive spaces possible. And we all have a role to play in that. The
0: depth and breadth of everything that you've shared today has just resonated so deeply with me. And I'm so excited for people working across philanthropy to be able to dive into what you shared. So I just want to say thank you really from the bottom of my heart for joining me in this conversation and for this episode of Disability Inclusion Required. Um, It has been so wonderful to have you. I so appreciate your work and I want to Thank you for everything that you continue to do to foster a more accessible world for all of us. And I want to encourage our listeners to continue your learning journey by visiting disabilityphilanthropy.org, the Disability and Philanthropy Forum, for more resources to support you in your learning process. So again, Taryn, thank you for joining me. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Emily Liddell, and this has been Disability Inclusion Required. Thank you.